I didn't even think of the diets. I took the fertility pills instead, and I didn't get pregnant because they don't address the root cause of my problem, which is PCOS, PCOS as you call it. So a friend of mine who is a gynecologist, she's the one that in a personal conversation said, well, of course you're not gonna get pregnant, not even with a fertility drug because your problem is insulin resistance. You have PCOS, you have PCOS. And that to me was like the light bulb moment. How did I not know this? Welcome to the Fat Emperor podcast. I'm your host, Ivor Cummins. We're supported by the Irish Heart Disease Awareness Charity, which advocates a simple CT scan to reveal your CAC score. So know your score and take action to prevent that premature heart attack. Everything you need to know will be right here. I'm in Washington, D.C. with Nadia Pateguana, who works for Dr. Jason Fung and Megan, who many of you may know. Uh, with the Intensive Dietary Management Program. So great to meet you, Nadia. Thank you, Ira. Nice to be here with you. Great stuff. And you know what? I just watched your talk there at Dr. Berg's Keto Summit. A fantastic, enthralling talk. And I loved a few things. Well, I love many things. But you're bringing up insulin resistance, which I'm into. Also, tofies, thin outside, fat inside. And of course, the whole problem of PCOS, which is huge for so many women, and infertility. So I think this is going to be a really fascinating podcast for so many women out there to learn how to resolve it. And it's not even that complex in the end. It really isn't. Thank you. So your personal story, I think, if you could run through that, that kind of says it all. And then we can d delve into certain aspects. Absolutely. So I, as you said, work with uh, Megan Ramos and Jason Fung at the IDM program. I'm one of the IDM educators, so a dietary and fasting coach. So I started working with them in 2016, so just over three years ago. Um, and I've been working with them ever since. So how I got there is actually a bit of a funny story. As you said, there's a bit of a personal story behind. I was trained in Toronto as a naturopathic doctor. So that was 15 years ago I graduated from the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine. And I became a naturopath because when I was in college, when I was in university, uh, full intention to go to medical school, I got really upset with my personal uh, medical doctor because I had IBS, irritable bowel syndrome. And so that's how my journey started as a naturopath. Um, I was upset with the conventional medical uh, community for not helping me with IBS, irritable bowel, which is, you know, pretty, it's in and of itself has its own serious concerns, more, more debilitating, you know, uh, uncomfortable. And so I decided I'm going to become a naturopath. I'd heard of it. It was a pretty intense four-year program, very good science, background, and all of that. So I thought this is what I want to do, and naturopathic medicine is going to treat my IBS. Fast forward a few years later, and unfortunately that didn't work. Naturopathic medicine didn't treat my IBS, uh, but it was part of my journey. And so when I graduated, right after I graduated, I decided to go back to my home country. So another personal part of my story. I was raised in Canada, but I was born in Mozambique. So Mozambique is an African country, Southeast Africa, right on the border of South Africa. And I am, um, it, it used to be a Portuguese colony. So my background is mixed Portuguese, African. And I was born in 77 and left to Mozambique uh, when I was just after I was one. And eventually my, my mother and I immigrated to Canada. 
which is where I was raised. So a little bit of the Jason Fung connection there. But the funny story, it kind of does a U-turn here, is that once I graduated from the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine, I decided to go back to my home country. And as I said today in the lecture, I thought I was going to go to Mozambique to help uh, starving African children, right? I had that, that dream of, you know, young African kids that study abroad often think, I'm going to go back to my country and make a difference. And that didn't, it didn't happen. I, I tried to work uh, for public health and I wasn't given the opportunity. So the only opportunity I was given was to open a private practice as a naturopath. So what does a naturopath do in Mozambique? Not very much. So when I opened my practice, I was shocked to find out that I, there was a lot of interest in coming to see me because people wanted weight loss advice in Mozambique. And I'm from Maputo, which is the, the capital of Mozambique, very happening uh, city. And um, I was very busy. For 10 years, I lived and worked in Mozambique, as a, not as a naturopath per se, but as a dietitian. So then I had to make up a diet. I didn't learn that in school <laughs> and so and, and and I guess I was fortunate enough to not have guidelines to follow um, and so uh, my dietary advice was probably a whole foods lower carb type of diet uh, eventually it got into a stricter lower carb diet but long story short a few years into my professional life and personal life I my husband and I started trying to conceive and I find out that I have PCOS polycystic ovarian syndrome the funny thing is, and that was part of my story today, I was very thin, so I was never overweight. Um, and I learned a lot in this, in this journey, uh, in this PCOS infertility journey. And I was lucky, I guess, because I believe in karma and all of these things kind of came together. I became a naturopathic doctor. I went to Mozambique and started working in, in diet and nutrition, which I never thought I would. And uh, then I, de I developed this condition, PCOS, and I didn't have very much help. My medical doctors weren't very helpful. So then I had to, again, put all the things that I knew together and try to figure out how to help myself. So here's what I knew in those first three to four years that I started working as a naturopath, as a dietitian in Mozambique, helping people with weight loss. For whatever reason, a lot of the women I worked with that came to me for weight loss got pregnant in the in the meantime as I say with a little help from their husbands but I had this strange reputation for helping women get pregnant they didn't know why and I didn't know why they weren't coming to me to get pregnant initially and so when I started struggling with fertility I went back to that I thought they're getting pregnant so I might as well so let me change my diet to the diet I was telling people to do even though I was very thin I knew there was a connection because once I got off the birth control pill, I gained a lot of weight, mostly in my central area, central obesity, which is a big part of PCOS, obviously stopped uh, menstruating and ovulating, which is a big problem if you're trying to get pregnant. And I didn't have a really great solution for my doctor except for fertility treatments, which my husband wasn't very keen on. And so I went home and I decided I am going to do this strict low carb diet that for whatever reason is helping. And this was back 10 years ago, uh, that for whatever reason is helping my clients get pregnant. And lo and behold, Ivor, you know the rest of the story. I did. I got pregnant uh, very, very shortly after that. I, I think within a month or two. But at the time, Nadia, you were not thinking, oh, I'm probably insulin resistant, I'm probably TOFI, low carb is obviously the, dramatically the best intervention for that. You just really went on the pattern recognition that your overweight patients, you were giving low carb, they were losing weight, and they were getting pregnant. So it was, it was literally that, just copying a pattern that was successful. 
One hundred percent. And so much so, as you know, Ivor, that I didn't even follow the diet when I was pregnant, which was a big problem. Yeah, and that was really fascinating because when I was watching your talk and you, within a month, I believe, on a low-carb diet, you lost some weight. You were very slim in appearance. You showed a photo, but you obviously had some internal fat and you had this problem. But within a month, you're pregnant, you're delighted, and then suddenly the story takes takes a kind of shocking negative turn. That's right. Yeah, so maybe describe that. That's right. So that's exactly what happened. So the diet worked. The low-carb diet, for whatever reason, which I didn't know at the time, helped me lose weight very quickly and helped me menstruate the very next month. And I got pregnant. So, pretty quick. Probably too quick, to be honest. Because I threw the diet out the window. I didn't think twice about it. Now I'm pregnant. And so that's all I cared about. What happened with me, which is what happens with many women, and there's clear evidence and science on this, is that women with PCOS, women that have metabolic syndrome, and uh, as you said, you've alluded to, insulin resistance, and that's what I discovered later, are at a much higher risk for serious pregnancy complications. And I, unfortunately, had lots of them lots and lots of pregnancy complications, including preeclampsia, hypertension, higher blood sugars, emergency C-section, and then later severe postpartum depression. And my first child was actually in the NICU for something that I think may have been related from some of the things that I've read. So I didn't follow the diet while I was pregnant. It helped me get pregnant. I got pregnant too quickly. I didn't follow it long enough. Then I got pregnant and I had a lot of complications. So this is a syndrome that's on a spectrum and metabolic syndrome is on a spectrum and insulin resistance is on a spectrum and I think over the, t the course of the pregnancy and all of these complications I went further up on the spectrum and things just got worse and worse and worse. Yeah and there are only a couple of naturally insulin resistant states pregnancy is one of them and then puberty is another so yeah it would have been crucial though you didn't know it to maintain the diet through that very pregnancy but you went back to just a generic diet I guess not generic, worse than generic. Oh. I had a history because of the PCOS likely, but also my own uh, predisposition to eating a lot of sugar. Yes, and carbohydrates. And this is something you also went through that a lot of people, ironically and tragically, not only are they eating too much carbohydrate driving their metabolic syndrome, but in turn their metabolic syndrome and their state is making them kind of addicted to, to seek out more carbohydrates, which is a classic vicious cycle and I think underpins the obesity and diabetes uh, ex explosion this century. And, it's, and the same thing happens with women with PCOS. They don't eat too much. They don't eat too many calories. They don't eat too much fat. They eat too much sugar. And they're in this uh, constant uh, carb, sugar, negative spin and addiction probably, which is what I felt that I had. I didn't know it at the time. And it appears that, and we kind of largely know now, the medical professionals, uh, well-meaning as they are, they can't help you with that because I think many don't grasp it. As you said, the doctor's just saying, well, here's a drug for what you've got. You're going to get worse. Here's a drug. Eat less, move more, which is pointless to someone who's caught in a kind of an addictive cycle and trapped in that, that merry-go-round uh, or miserable go-round, probably better to say. I wasn't eating much to begin with. I didn't even like food. I only liked sugar. So probably one of the main reasons I was so thin was because I just didn't eat enough. But I definitely didn't eat food. And so telling me, you're going to be obese. This is what my doctor first told me when I was uh, diagnosed with PCOS. Well, you've got PCOS. He was shocked because I was so thin. 
but clearly I had it and I had all three diagnostic criteria. So I had the Frank type of PCOS, which he was shocked about, but I did. And he basically, because lifestyle, right? I, 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 I likely had the tendency and there are, it's probably a multifactorial concern, but my lifestyle is what made this condition much worse. And I didn't eat very much, but I ate sugar all day long, every hour or two, basically. Yeah, and your genetics, I, we often talk about this, your genetics may have given you a susceptibility towards damage from a bad food environment, but the bad food environment is the cause. It always is. The genetics only gives you susceptibility. Uh, or the genetics loads the gun, but the environment and nutrition pulls the trigger. That's what you so. said yesterday, and I completely <laughs> agree with that. And so yeah. here's the, the funny thing is, I think what my genetics did, I am the daughter of a very thin woman and a very thin man. Both my parents are still very thin to this day in their 60s. And so that's my genetics, is that I was eating all of this crap, as you know, Ivor, all of this sugar, and yet I wasn't gaining weight like some people are. So I didn't even have that red flag. Exactly, the warning sign. And this happened, well, my specialized area is heart disease, as you know. And again, the tofi or the thin outside, fat inside, is a huge issue in heart disease because the big fat guy with the bad bloods, well, they know they're at risk and they have a choice to do something. But the slim person who appears to be healthy, they dropped out of heart attacks as well, just as much, pretty much. Uh, but they have no warning and they feel that they're healthy, which is a tragedy. So you're trapped in the same kind of paradigm, the same problem. And that pregnancy then, your first pregnancy, a lot of complications, emergency C-section, and I think followed by you had depression issues as well, yeah. which is shocking. So how was that period? It must have been really bad. It was the roughest, uh, unfortunately, and especially because you've just had the most beautiful baby in the world and you should be thrilled. Um, so that, that comes with its own thing. Guilt, How, I guess. Well, well I don't even know that at the time you can really put any of this really. When you have severe postpartum depression like I did and it expressed itself as severe anxiety, um, any, soon enough I was medicated, probably not soon enough to be totally honest, but eventually I was medicated because I was in such a state uh, at that point. And so how did that have a major impact? Number one, the medication I was given caused uh, some serious weight gain. And I'm talking over 20 pounds in post-pregnancy, so post-pregnancy weight. So remember, we're talking about that spectrum. I'm just going up and up on the spectrum at this point, right? Because now I've got the, everything else plus the weight, plus uh, all of this. So that was one of the, the, major, the major things. And two, head-wise, I wasn't in a good place to even say, you know, Nadia, you need to go to that diet. That diet might help, or even to make the connection between PCOS and diet and insulin and all of that. I just was in no place. I, I don't even, I probably didn't even work for the majority of, of that. I, I had to go into the clinic, but to be honest, I didn't do very much. I wasn't in a good place. Yeah, so then you moved on to how did you actually snap out of that? And I think from recollection it was more using some medical profession help to go after a second pregnancy so maybe capture that story because that will be common to so many women who are not aware of low carb to resolve PCOS and fertility issues and they end up in the system that's exactly it so it worked the first time great I didn't continue it I got much worse my PCOS got worse doing one uh, month of a low-carb ketogenic diet is not gonna solve this as we know right this is a lifestyle it's not a temporary fix and so if you have a condition like PCOS or diabetes or obesity it's not doing 
anything for a month or taking a magic pill that's going to resolve the problem. So what happened with me, again, part of my own personal journey, was that a little less than two years after my first daughter was born, I developed a large ovarian cyst that uh, nearly ruptured and had to be surgically removed. And my doctor, uh, my gynecologist at the time, said to me, it's now or never. Literally, if the way this went, four centimeters to seven centimeter cyst grew so quickly, you know, can you, can you, you probably thinking, insul you know, insulin, well, how is this thing growing so quickly, right? He's saying to me, you're probably not going to be able to have a child because you're going to have lots of these cysts. They're going to rupture. They're probably going to strangulate your ovaries. You're going to be out of ovaries soon. This kind of doom picture, you need to try to have a baby now. And here's some more fertility drugs. And so I went home in a bad state, mentally, physically, took the fertility drugs for six months. That's what is recommended. And I didn't get pregnant because this time I didn't do the diet. I didn't even think of the diets. I took the fertility pills instead and I didn't get pregnant because they don't address the root cause of my problem, which is PCOS, PCOS as you call it. So a friend of mine who is a gynecologist, she's the one that in a personal conversation said, well, of course you're not gonna get pregnant, not even with a fertility drug because your problem is insulin resistance. You have PCOS, you have PCOS. And that to me was like the light bulb moment. How did I not know this? After all these years and after so much uh, studying in medical, you know, naturopathic medical school and uh, seeing these women get pregnant, well, how did I not make the connection? But then I did. Then I made the connection. So to help me out, she gave me metformin, which is a diabetic drug, which does help the body become more sensitive to insulin. And that's uh, likely what helped me get pregnant that time around. And just like the other time, no diet during that second pregnancy but I had a beautiful, a second beautiful baby girl. And I came out of that uh, pregnancy in a very bad place physically. I actually developed a thyroid tumor that turned into carcinoma, um, but in a very good place mentally, in the sense that um, it felt different. I didn't have the postpartum depression and I had a lot of information, very good information. And that's when I decided to put all of this information together that I had for myself and to go on a low-carb ketogenic diet and intermittent fasting full-time. It helped resolve my sugar cravings, my sugar addiction, because by eating full meals, I stopped snacking and grazing and eating sugar all the time. So that to me was essential and to probably to many women with PCOS. I needed full meals. I needed to eat and walk away. That's where the intermittent fasting comes in. And in three months, I was off the blood pressure meds. I was off the the, the glucose meds, I was off, everything normalized, my, my body weight, because at this point, I'm pretty high up on the spectrum, right? Uh, weight and everything else, weight, blood pressure, blood sugars, obviously the mood was an issue. Uh, IBS, remember the IBS, why I became a naturopath to begin with? That somehow got resolved. And so it was just a very interesting journey in just three months after um, eventually when I started uh, doing this, and, and it's been, five almost six years now right long term and they talk out there on the uh, the internet and and a lot of orthodox circles questioning the long term we don't have long-term data for low-carb ketogenic but the reality is we have an enormous number of n equals ones who are experiencing amazing health and wellness and, and mental vitality 
uh, the answer is kind of obvious that this is a great human diet. And you, you lost and you had probably put on quite a lot of weight as you say, you'd gone up the spectrum. So you were maybe losing for a small frame person, you were losing 20 or pounds maybe. Oh, maybe more. Maybe more. Maybe more. I, I wouldn't be able to tell you exactly the amount. Yeah. Because we're talking baby weight and after baby weight, after uh, depression medication and so on and so forth. But yeah, I, I can tell you that in three months, I was down to a, just a good place, good place mentally, physically, weight-wise. And I guess we, we easily forget, right? Because I was thin before, and then I was thin. People just assume, well, you're, you're thin because you're always thin. But no, it was going back on the, because I was way up there on the spectrum already at that point. And you can imagine that journey back to that slimness if you try to do it with uh, eat less and move more. I, I mean, the classic failure that where everyone fails. So the addictive nature, I might just come back to that again, that, that people don't always fully realize this vicious cycle, I think it's a very pivotal part that you're kind of helpless in a sense because of the addictive element of these sugars and carbs. So you're continually drawn to eat those, which actually not only is really bad for you and driving all your problems, of course, but it's taking out of your diet nutrient dense meat, fish, eggs, and real food it's replacing what should be there. So it's a double whammy, I guess. I, one, I, I was sharing this, this with you as we were walking here. I 100% agree because that was my case. First of all, because I was thin, there was never this idea that I have to eat this versus that. There's this myth that thin people can eat whatever they want because they're not, they don't gain weight. And so I was never concerned about my diet. I had lots of candies, lots of chocolate, lots of Coca-Cola, lots of lattes with lots of sugar, this in bread. This is all I ate. This is all I liked to eat. And the more I ate, the more I wanted to eat. And it was this vicious cycle that I couldn't get out of. Didn't even want to get out of. I didn't, why would I need to until I couldn't get pregnant? right? Because up until then, why would I want to get out of the cycle? I was that person that would go to restaurants and never order a main meal. And my husband can attest to this because this is the first couple years of our dating life. I would only have the starters. That's all. I, and the dessert. I like the starters and I like the dessert. I don't like the main meal. This was me. And I probably would go back to that if I stopped eating whole foods, if I allow myself. And so I don't snack to this day. I have much more metabolic flexibility meaning that I could eat all kinds of uh, whole foods if I wanted to at this point, but I need to eat full meals. I need to eat proper meals, proper nutrients first. If I start a meal or if I start snacking, I never snack. I'll never eat some, because if I start with sugar, I can't stop. And uh, very likely, I will not eat anything else because I will not want to. I lose the appetite. I'm sure it's not as bad today, but I don't do it anyway. Like I'll, I won't start a, a meal, even at an event, at a party, at a holiday. I will not start with the sugars, with the snacks, with the carbs, because I won't be able to then eat the meat and the veggies, which is what I want to eat. I need that first. I need to satiate with real food that does me good. I feel good. And then maybe if you have the metabolic flexibility, maybe you can have some carbs. And really, that depends on where you are in this famous spectrum. Yeah, and it's so important that for children as well. I, I always say to the kids, okay, there's some stuff there that's junky or there's breads or something like that they want to eat. You eat the meat first. You eat real food first. And if you want to force some crap down on top of it, that's bad enough. But yes. okay, but, but get the real food in first. It's yep. a golden rule. And your whole family then, I think, Nadia, benefited from these realizations 
you know, your husband, you showed a photo of your husband, he was chunky enough, but then you showed the later picture, which your kids are beautiful and they're growing up now. The whole family is benefiting from this low carb lifestyle. Well, my husband, if uh, he loves it when I talk about him, I'm not. <laughs> but my husband was overweight his entire life as a child. And, and really he recalls back growing up in Mozambique in the 70s, he was the only overweight child. Everybody else was thin and he was overweight from always. And so obesity has always been a struggle major struggle for him and we actually met obviously personally we had personal friends but he came into clinic to see me um, that was one of our first interactions um, not the first and right away I was like mm, I don't think you should be coming to see me anymore but his main concern was always weight and so we've we've been on this journey together from the very beginning it's now been 12 or 13 years of, of him uh, following this journey with me and so to his dismay, there were many times where I tried many different things with him. Low calorie, vegan, and I'm sorry to even mention this, but we tried. We tried many things that were seen and, and thought to be very helpful, and it wasn't helpful for him. When I uh, decided to do a low-carb ketogenic diet, he actually encouraged it very much because he had been wanting to do it for a long time, and I was always like, no, no, that just can't be healthy to do that kind of stuff. Well, you know, there was a lot of this conversation back and forth. And so eventually, we both went on the low-carb ketogenic diet together and intermittent fasting. And, and I, you know, I've often mentioned this. His very first fast, as soon as I started working with Megan and Dr. Fung, was a 12-day fast. We were very lucky that I worked with Megan and Dr. Fung and he was properly uh, monitored and he wanted to do it. Because the very first video that he watched of Jason Fung on YouTube, he went, really? This is, like, this is brilliant why didn't anyone ever tell me and he's a very much matter-of-fact kind of a person and he was like if this is what I have to do or if this is gonna work I'm gonna do it if I can do this I'm gonna do it I can do it and he could and he wrote a beautiful journal throughout that I asked him to uh, throughout that period of time and it was and that's what started it off so now he's this fit 45 year old uh, vibrant healthy man when he suffered with obesity his entire life Hey everyone, Ivor Cummins here, and we're bringing you another free podcast for your enjoyment. We only ask one thing, if you could go to ihda.ie, the website, and scroll down to the bottom of the homepage and share using the social media buttons. So this podcast is kept free by being funded by Irish Heart Disease Awareness. So we really need you to pause the video pop on to ihda.ie and help us get the message out there on the calcification scan for middle risk people. Yeah, and the solution is actually, well, obviously Jason's fantastic and Megan, <laughs> and it's great the way he can translate a lot of the complexity down to simple concepts of insulin. I love the whole balloon imagery and, and all the other analogies he used for fasting. But ironically, yeah, it is actually not that complex once all the details have been worked out it's easy to apply and it's healthy ancestral food and also the fasting behaviors which will be part of our evolution let's be honest it's not that complex once you have someone to guide you and convince you that it's correct explain it and then personal motivation takes over you know once as you say your husband once he realized this makes sense i'm going to do it and he does a 12-day fast yeah, he did. That was his first fast, and, and he's done a few extended fasts since, quite a few actually. He has a, a lot of 
fasting flexibility. It really works for him. He feels really great. He was very lucky too at the time that he, he had us watching him and he was, he was very healthy throughout. He was well hydrated. But we don't, we at IDM don't even recommend extended fasts uh, all the time. And, and even in certain cases, we don't recommend them at all. But in his particular case, um, it made sense. So he's done since then a lot of alternate day, extended fast, intermittent fast. I don't think he's done a 12 day since, not that I can remember, but he may have done some five day, six day, seven day on occasion. But most of the time we're doing intermittent fasting. He's doing intermittent fasting and he feels great. Yeah, I myself actually 24, 30 hours maximum, but many days I do OMAD one meal a day and I do kind of the 24 hours and have a really good meal and really enjoy it. And it works for me too, to be honest. But the longer term fasts as well, it seems that women as well maybe sometimes are less amenable to very long term fasts compared to men for whatever physiological reason. Is that the... You know, that can be true. And Megan has, has done some great... Um, videos and, and a blog series on women and fasting and the differences between men and women hormonally. Not, not to say that I, that I think women can't do extended fast because I work with women, uh, men as well. I work with diabetics and obese people, not just PCOS people. And I have seen women do very well uh, in certain cases with both extended fasting and intermittent fasting. It just has to be done properly. Right. Well, that's actually, that's a great resource. Megan, um, and look up IDM and Megan's videos sounds like that's a one-stop shop so maybe we'll curl to a close now I know you have other business to attend to and just recap on PCOS then polycystic ovarian syndrome huge issue massively underpins infertility which affects millions of women around the world is not linked to obesity per se it's associated with obesity but it's insulin resistance the overwhelming cause is that fair to say that's right. It is linked to obesity. It is associated to obesity, but it is not caused by obesity. So women with PCOS are not necessarily obese, and not all obese women will have PCOS. But it has a common cause, which is insulin resistance. So it's very important to address the root cause of the problem. And as I uh, said today during my talk, I was able to do a, a great review for the Journal of Insulin Resistance on uh, the contribution of hyperinsulinemia to PCOS. And yes, you're, you're absolutely right. It is overwhelming the leading uh, root cause, the major factor. The, it's the major factor to address with PCOS is the insulin. Lowering insulin through uh, diet, low-carb diet, and intermittent fasting. Right, and that paper actually, congratulations to you, you actually got a published uh, paper there. That's right. And I believe you had 18 papers you reviewed That's that right. were salient. That's right. And it's pretty categorical. And I suppose most knowledgeable endocrinologists who are leading edge and who know the research would be very clear on this if someone was lucky enough to meet one. But overwhelmingly women out there with problems, it sounds like we'll end up with generic advice to lose weight eat less, move more, and get some kind of drug which might assist a little, but is not hitting the root cause, and no way will have the dramatic results that you've had with low-carbon keto. I can, I, I, you are absolutely 100% correct. My own endocrinologist, so of course now I need to have one because of my thyroid being removed, so um, I see someone, um, and we don't talk about diet very much. I don't even get into this very much. But anyhow, he will, he will often say, why do you always ask to get your insulin checked? And I say, well, you know, because I have PCOS and I want to check it. He goes, oh, that's right. PC and he knows PCOS. He knows the science. I, I would think most endocrinologists would. He knows the link, but he doesn't um, 
make the connection with the diet. No, doesn't recommend it. He, he will often say, well, yeah, your A1C will be a little higher. It's normal. You have PCOS. And so it's like, that's okay. It doesn't need to be addressed because you have PCOS. You should have a higher uh, diabetic risk sort of thing. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll address it myself. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? That just reminds me of Professor Gerald Reeven, the, the insulin resistance, uh, enormously published and kind of decoded syndrome X, which was metabolic syndrome, which is insulin resistance syndrome. He himself held back from advocating low carb because I would say of political reasons. So although he informed loads of people about insulin resistance and many professionals published and all this kind of stuff, he held back until he did a populist book to actually admit that low carb was the solution to this and all the associated diseases right. of which there are so many. All the associated ones, that's yeah. right. So politics actually is holding back medicine, um, but I guess with the freedom of information on the internet, that's gonna slowly get better. And that's the whole point of why we're doing this, why we're talking, why you talk to so many people and why uh, Dr. Jason Fung and I wrote this book on PCOS. It's exactly to address so that people know what the root cause is and they know what the solution is. Great stuff, Nadia. And so IDM, Intensive Dietary Management, the amazing Dr. Fong and Megan. That's right. And your new book with Dr. Fong is titled? It's the PCOS Plan, and it comes out in March of 2020 in uh, North America and hopefully in May of 2020 in the UK. Great stuff. And you know what? I'll be highly recommending that to any women with fertility or other issues. And I kind of know I don't even have to read it to recommend it. So there you go. Uh, thank you. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Nadia. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in, guys. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see my subscribe button in the middle of the screen, a free viewing of the Widowmaker movie on the far right, and myself and Dr. Gerber's book, Eat Rich, Live Long, on the left. Otherwise, please do subscribe to the audio podcast. Thanks.